It's time now for us to turn our attention to the word of our God. We're going to be in John chapter 4. We're coming back to this, this wonderful account of Jesus and the story of the woman at the well. Such a beautiful story of redemption. Jesus has come to set this woman free, free from her sin, free from her shame and bondage. Last week, we saw what a big deal it was for Jesus, uh, a Jewish man, and not only that, a rabbi, to have any interaction, a conversation with this Samaritan woman who was an outcast in her own society. And, And right in the middle of this beautiful story, right in the middle of Jesus bringing healing to this woman's life, to bring, bringing healing to her, her pain, bringing healing from her sin, we get this, this really marvelous teaching from Jesus on the nature of true worship. So I want to read John chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 19 through 26. John chapter 4, verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I want to pray now as we open the word of our God together. Father, we thank you for your word. And and I do pray now, Lord, like you did with your own apostles, that you would open our understanding that we might understand your word. I pray, Father, that you would um, till up the soil of our hearts this morning so that the seed of your word could could find a place to be planted there and in your time bring forth much fruit to the glory of your name. Would you help me, Father? Lord, you know know my sins, you know my weaknesses, you know my needs. I pray that you would help me to be faithful to your word. And Father, I pray that you would glorify yourself in, in your own faithfulness to yourself and to your people by breaking to us now the bread of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's, let's zero in this morning on what Jesus says about tr- true worship. I'd like to look at three questions here from the passage very simply. Number one, what is worship? Number two, how do we worship? And number three, what does true worship look like? Okay, so number one, what is worship? Uh, first of all, worship is something that everyone does without exception. We all, as human beings, are worshipers by nature. And the reason for that is because it's the way God 
has created us. Psalm chapter 95, verses 6 and 7 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. You remember, we looked at this last week. We, we have been created by God for God, right? By God for God. Colossians 1.16 says, all things were created through Christ and for Christ, right? So, so with Jesus, we should, um, we're, we're meant to come and bow down before him. I learned something this week in ancient Mesopotamian culture. Um, there's a really big word for it I'll spare you from, but there was this concept of bowing down. In, in ancient Mesopotamian culture, uh, there, was a, there was a custom when people would practice their greetings, and we see all kind of different forms of this, like we do it with a handshake, but um, if, uh, if two people of equal status greeted each other, they would kiss each other on the lips. If, if you had one person greet another person who was a little bit higher in stature, he would kiss that person on the lips. But, but if a, let's say if a pauper came to greet a king, that, that lowly person would come into the king's presence and he would bow his face to the ground. And he might kiss the king's feet if the king would let him, or not, he would from the ground, lift up his kisses to the king. That's this concept of, of bowing down. Um, you know, you might be offended about this at first when you hear it, but you need to think through it. Uh, years ago, when I first looked up the word worship in the original language to get the meaning, one of the lexicons defines it that like this. It's adoration, and it's what it is. Does anybody have a dog you really love? Does anybody have a dog that really loves you? Yeah, okay. So um, what they said was worship is like when a dog lovingly, as an act of adoration, licks his master's hand, right? So this concept of bowing down, this concept of adoration, but, but there's actually more to this. Yes, worship involves reverence and bowing down to a king, to, to someone high in authority who is worthy of that kind of honor, but there's more to it. Psalm 96, verses 8 and 9 that we read says, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering, come into his courts, worship the Lord in the splendor. Older translations say the beauty Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worship is the response of the heart to what we find beautiful. For example, it's that thing that happens inside you. You know, if you've ever been to the side of the Grand Canyon and you see all of that majesty, or don't you, don't you some of this, some of you just might not notice, but you ever see such an amazing sunset with colors you never even knew existed and the way the, 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 the rays of the sunshine will come through the clouds and you see these most brilliant displays and, and that thing inside you that says, wow. That thing inside you that says, this is amazing. Amazing. 
that awe and wonder you experience when you are overcome with beauty, when you see or experience something wonderful that makes you forget about yourself. You're never wowed by a sunset and sitting there and go, how amazing am I? That people don't do that if you're wowed by something else, right? This brings us to a very important point if we're gonna understand worship. Worship is first and foremost not just something we do. Yes, we do things in worship, but worship is what your heart is awed by and delights in. John Piper said, the inner essence of worship is the response of the heart to the knowledge of the mind when the mind is rightly understanding God and the heart is rightly valuing God. Now, what, here's what John Piper means with all that technical language. The true worship of God is when we behold our God and we find him so beautiful and amazing that what we see in him makes us say, wow, looking at him and forgetting ourselves, right? Talking about the inner essence of worship. It's about what your heart values. It's about what your heart finds as its greatest treasure, as its greatest treasure. The woman at the well had been seeking at her uh, treasure in something other than God, right? She had been seeking her treasure in men. Five husbands, and now she's with a guy who's she's not even married to. It, it, it's not, see, this is what I want you to get. It's not that she wasn't worshiping. She was, she was a worshiper. It's just that she was worshiping the wrong things. Here's a test. Are you ready for a test? Here's a test. If you really want to know what you are worshiping, then ask yourself, what is the one thing in life that without it you don't even want to live? Anything that occupies that position other than God, that's what you're worshiping. That's the idol that you have created. I don't care if it's a spouse, if it's a job, if it's your children, right? You want to know what it is that you worship. You know, um, one pastor said, look at your daydreams. When you daydream about the things you love, what, is the th what are the things, right? Or your greatest nightmares. Like, what are you most afraid of? What are you most afraid of losing? If you allow your heart to put put anything in the place where only God belongs, anything, then ultimately that thing is going to ruin you. Just like this woman's life had been ruined, right? Because if the one thing you need to live is your spouse, what are you gonna do if they leave you or if they die? What if it's your children? What if your children grow up and to, to live a life that's completely against everything you had hoped for them? What if... Uh, what if, you know, you put all your hopes in a job, but you get laid off? And all your identity, all your status was, oh, I'm this. I'm a this kind of thing. I'm a doctor. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I have this high status. I'm a business owner. And you lose your job. And that was your identity. That was what you worship. Friends, 
if we try to worship the wrong things, our lives are going to be a wreck. And we do a lot of things, like a lot of us, our lives are wrecks. And I'm saying, because listen here, I'm not like preaching down at you people. My heart is prone to wonder just like everybody else's. So I'm prone to make something else that thing. And our lives will be a straight up hot mess wreck. But we'll be, what do you say on Facebook and Instagram? (laughs) No, you just put out the perfect picture like everything's rosy. And everybody else is depressed because their life is jacked up and it looks like yours is so perfect. When in reality, you're just putting out a lie. Our lives are a mess because we try to put things in the place where only God ought to be. So, the essence of true worship is the posture of the heart towards that that we value most. Let's look at number two now. How do we worship? All right? Or we could say, how should we worship? All right? In verse 23, Jesus tells the woman, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Help me. In spirit and truth. The, tr- the hour is come and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. What, what a, let's break this down. This is great. First of all, Jesus talked about the hour, which in John's gospel, when, whenever Jesus says the hour, he is always talking about the cross. Now, when Jesus says the hour is coming and is now here, Jesus, is, he's, he's um, put the ball in motion. He's began his public ministry. Already the uh, animosity of the Jewish leaders is brewing against him. That's why he had to get out of Jerusalem. That's why he's going back up to Samaria because they had heard that his ministry's growing. He's baptizing more people than John, right? It, it's, 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 the, it's, it's almost um, maybe another couple of years, but it's, it's the eve of the greatest moment in history when Jesus lays down his life as a sacrifice. Uh, Jesus' life, his death and resurrection forever changed, his incarnation forever changed the concept of worship. Worship is not centered around a location, it's centered around a person whose name is Jesus. That's why the church will never be a building. You didn't come to church this morning. The church came here <laughs> to this place, right? We, could, we can be the church. In, now, the church has to gather. The church isn't this nebulous thing that it's just kind of this ethereal, abstract, oh, the church is just Christians. No, the church gathers. But it's not tied to anyone place. We have brothers and sisters. I thank God for this building. Isn't this a great blessing? You know how many years, this has been a tremendous blessing to us. God has been so very kind, but we have brothers and sisters right now who are worshiping out in huts in the jungle. We have brothers and sisters around this globe who are worshiping in caves. Throughout history, we have had brothers and sisters who had to hide from the government and worship in catacombs. You know what that is? That's tombs where dead bodies are buried. The place does not matter. It's that Christ has been pleased 
to, to gather his people out of the world, and he is in their midst. Jesus uses the word true worshipers. Well, when he has to say true worshipers, you know what that means. There's such a thing as false worshipers. There's a, such a thing as worship that is not acceptable in the eyes of God. And that just demonstrates the point that I was making earlier that we all worship, right? It's just a matter of whether we are doing rightly in God, we're doing it rightly in God's eyes. I find this so fascinating too. I mean, isn't this, I mean, think about, let this sink in. Jesus said the true worshipers must worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And he, then he says the, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So much of the time, and I, wanna, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself in this, but so much of the time, you know what we'll do? What, around uh, our country especially, churches are thinking, hmm, I wonder what people out there in the world are seeking in a worship experience. What would make them happy? What would they like to, oh, donuts? Let's have donuts, <laughs> you know. Ooh, coffee, now we have coffee, but, you know. God is the one seeking true worshipers. We need to ask ourselves, are we true worshipers or not? Right? Now, fr friends, one of the most important things I want you to take away from this today, like, if you're, I know there's a lot I'm gonna say, some of you are going to be able to follow a lot of it. Some of you are going to be like catch bits and pieces. But if, if you're the kind of person that's just going to catch one thing today, let this, let this be it. One of the most important things we need to take a, away from this passage is that it matters to God how we worship. It matters to God how we worship. We are not free to approach God on our own terms. We... We worship him on his terms. Yes, yes, yes. God is our father. He is. And do and you know the scriptures even say that Jesus is our brother. And that's true. But we can't reduce God down to sentimental terms. You know what else the scripture says about God in our worship? This is the New Testament. This isn't some obscure Old Testament like, oh, that's what the God of wrath said. We just want the God of grace who's all kind and you know, he's a pushover, and he, he, he lets me do whatever I want. I like the New Testament. That's, no, 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 no. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? Verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. This God who is our Father, this Savior who is our brother, is almost also the majestic God who created all things. And we approach him and we worship him on his terms and not ours. And by the way, consuming fire sounds pretty scary, but you know, I mean, there's, there's two ways to be consumed by the glory of God. You can be destroyed by it because you are in rebellion to God and his ways. Or, you know, 
there's good ways to be consumed in things also, right? You can be consumed with the glory of God because it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And all of your, all of your heart, all of your soul, you see it and you love it. And, and, and you bow down, you don't bow down as a slave. You don't bow down out of fear. This, this reverence and awe is, is an overwhelming delight in the beauty and glory of God. Because we are a consumeristic society, it's very no, normal for us to think about um, our preferences in worship. You know, we, you've all heard this, what kind of music style, what kind of preacher, what kind of atmosphere, what kind of sermons, what kind of studies. We should not be seeking our preferences in worship. We should be seeking Christ's. One Sunday morning, I don't know if this is a true story or not, but it could be. Uh, one Sunday morning, a, a congregant came up to a pastor and, 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 the, and the church member said, Pastor, he's, she, he said, I didn't like that worship service at all. And the pastor looked at him and said, oh, really? He said, well, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. Jesus said what the Father is seeking are true worshipers that worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, there's two things. We need to get at this. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? There's two things, there's two keys to understanding what it is as Jesus is saying here. Remember the woman's question. She said, our, our fathers worship here in Samaria at Mount Gerizim. That's where the Samaritans say worship ought to happen. But you Jews say worship ought to happen there at Mount Zion where the temple is. Well, you know, which one is it? And Jesus looks at her and says, listen, the hour is coming when you will neither worship him there at this mountain or in Jerusalem. Right? It's, Jesus is saying it's not about the location, it's about who and how you worship. The second thing we need to understand is what Jesus meant by worshiping in spirit and in truth right here at the beginning. Remember what he said at verse 24. This whole thing that... that um, he says the true worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Well, that's based on the fact that he said God is a spirit. God is a spirit. Therefore, true worship must be in spirit and in truth. Part of what that means is that worship is a spiritual act, right? It's not tied to location. It's tied to God who is a spirit. So to worship God in spirit means to worship God in accordance with the kind of being he is. True worship is our response to God as he has revealed himself to us. God is at the center of our worship, not our preferences. I think to say, now, it says in spirit and truth. Um, I think to say in spirit and truth is a kind of a way of saying the same thing. I, I think it's kind of like Jesus is like driving home this point in spirit and truth. So God is a spirit, so you must worship him in spirit. You must worship him in accord with the kind of being that God is. Now to say, 
we must worship him in truth, is the same thing. As he has truly revealed himself. In the Bible, God is referred to as a God of truth. In John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. And then, many of you know this passage in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you want to worship the Father, if you want to know in the greatest way possible what God is like, then we look to Jesus. Let me show you why. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 1 and 3, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, listen to this, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, listen to this, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of the Father and the exact imprint of his nature. You want to know what God's like? Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus, this, I know this, this, this is a paradox. It's technically not a contradiction. It's a paradox because it's, it's not that it's logically impossible. It's just hard to see how this could be. Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There's this really neat place in John 14. Jesus is preparing the disciples for the fact that he's about to go away. And Philip says, okay, Jesus, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And th- this is John 14:9. if you're taking notes. Jesus says, have I been so long with you and you do not realize who I am? He said, have I, have I been so long with you and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the fullest revelation of the nature and the character, who God is and what God is like. Now, there's one more step to this. God is a God of truth. Every member of the Trinity is referred to as God being the truth in some way, but there's another step to this. To worship in spirit and in truth as we said, means to worship God in truth as God has revealed himself. And that fullest revelation is Christ. Question, how has that revelation come down to you and me? Did God reveal all that with a word from heaven? Did God reveal all this truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus is like, what he's done in a dream to us? Did he do it in a still small voice? Did he do it somewhere in our heart or somewhere? Did he just plant those things in our mind? No, no. He's communicated this truth to us through the Holy Scriptures, the 66 books that comprise the Old and New Testaments. Jesus went to great lengths in... um, 
In John chapter 17, you'd read that great high priestly prayer. It's a great prayer. If if you're familiar with that, you should go home and read it again this Sunday. If you've never read John, if you've never read anything in the Bible before, or it's been a long time, go home today and read John chapter 17. In it, Jesus goes to these great lengths to say that the Father had given his word to the Son. And then Jesus says, I have taken the words that you have given me, and I have given those words to the apostles. And then Jesus prays for all the people, which includes us, who are believers here today. Jesus prays for all of those who will believe on the word that Jesus gave to the apostles. And that word we have in the pages of Holy Scripture. Now, Jesus said, it's Jesus. Jesus said, the true worshipers must worship him, must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And in John 17, 17, Jesus prays for us and he says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. And then he says, your word is truth. The true worship of God, to worship the Father in spirit and in truth, means for us that we worship God in accordance with how he has revealed himself to us in the pages of Holy Scripture, which is only possible I don't have time to go on this, but some people look at spirit and in truth, and is that talking about the Holy Spirit? Is that talking about our spirit? Well, yeah, it's all in there, because there's no way to worship the Father in spirit and in truth unless the Holy Spirit gives you a heart to do it, right? And real spirit, real real worship is, as we've said, is first and foremost a, a motion of the heart in love and adoration towards God, all right? So now, let's look at number three. Number three, I want to get really practical with this for a couple minutes, okay? What does it look like for us to worship the Father in spirit and in truth? I want to look at this from two angles. Number one, our lives as individuals, and number two, our life together as a church, okay? So number one, our lives together as individuals, here's the thing that we need to understand. Um, All of life Every second we live, every fiber of our being should be lived, should be an offering. Everything we are, everything we have should be an offering back up as a sacrifice of worship and praise to God. Everything, without exception. Everything. Romans 12.1, some of you probably guessed I was going here. I beseech you, or <laughs> I appeal to you, Brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, what does that look like in your everyday life? Right? Does that mean you're just walking around like all day long at work singing a song of praise and recalling to mind memory verses, well, that might happen, and I hope that happens for you sometimes. But no, that's not necessarily what a life of worship looks like. I'll give you one word to help you understand 
what all of your life lived back to worship to God looks like. Obedience. Obedience to God is the test of whether or not you are living your life in worship to him. Um, 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel said, you remember to Saul, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. That's how you know if you are living a life of worship. And, and you know, I, I just, I wanna, I wanna kinda get dead level with you for just a minute. I, I, I would be surprised if there wasn't some of us here who this is true, this has been true of me in the past. I mean, it's probably been true of me on some days even when I get up to preach. I mean, I, I, mean, I hope not, this shouldn't be true, but you know, if you're calling yourself a Christian, you're calling yourself a worshiper, and oh yeah, I'm there on Sunday morning. But Monday through Saturday, you're not, God's not on your radar, you're not worshiping him, then what you're doing here today is a mockery to him. I'm sorry, but it is. And God's not looking kindly on you because you say, well, just in case there's a God, I'm gonna come and I'll go to church and maybe he'll look at that and throw me a bone, you know, and just in case. No, all of our lives are meant to be offered to him in worship. And, 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 and since, right, worship, true worship, uh, worship in spirit and in truth is that we worship God in accordance with the way he has revealed himself to us in the scriptures, that's why it makes for the life of a believer who's intent on following the Lord, which those, that's not two different things. <laughs> that's two ways of saying the same thing. A true believer follows the Lord. That's why it makes placing yourself faithfully and consistently under the preaching of the word. Why it makes your own reading and study and growing in your knowledge of God and Christ in the word so critical to your life as a believer. Second, I want to look here at how this looks in our life together as a church. Friend, the way that we know the way that we know as a church, if we are worshiping God in spirit and in truth, is if we are humbly submitting ourselves to the word of our God. God's word should, listen, I've chosen these words very carefully. God's word should provide the shape and the content of all that we do as our worship given back to him. And that's why there's a, I don't, I don't know if you'd call this a formula, but that's why in the church, in our public worship services, we gather to show the excellencies, to show, uh, to show that we value and treasure the Lord more than anything, this is what we do, all right? We read the word in our public worship services, we preach the word, not the preacher's opinions, the word. We sing the word, we pray the word, and we see the word. The see comes in when we practice baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's when we see it, 
right? It's all shaped and, and guarded, and, and the content is supplied by the word of God. Friends, it would be arrogant and foolish for us to start with ourselves and seek our preferences in worship. The, morning, the moment we begin to do that, we've replaced God at the center and put ourselves there. In sermons, we should be asking, not do I like this preacher or his delivery. I mean, I have a confession. One of my idols is I'm a people pleaser. So real bad, I want you to like me. But that's not what, that, you should not be looking at her and say, oh, I like that preacher. Or I like his delivery. Or, you know, you sh- what you should be asking right now, I-, I don't care if you don't like, I mean, I do care. <laughs> but I know I shouldn't care. <laughs> um, but you shouldn't be asking, do I like him? Do I like the way he looks? Do I, lo- do I like the sound of his voice? Is that man being faithful to the word of God? I- I- something convicted me so bad, because I got my favorite preachers. I've heard men that I don't really care to listen to, maybe because of the sound of their voice or whatever, and I've heard other men, I just love just hearing their voice is wonderful. And this preacher said, hey, listen, he said, you know, take, take a preacher you don't like and, and try to listen to what he's saying in the voice of a preacher you do like. And when he said that, that hit me like a ton of bricks. That sometimes it's, it's more about, do I, like, do I like this man and what he's saying to me? Or is this man being faithful to the word? Same thing with the songs, y'all. You know, the songs, the, I, I mean, the songs should be an a, a offering of praise to God that um, are appropriate and helpful. But, but we shouldn't be saying, oh, what kind of songs do I like? Like personally, personally, I'm sorry, I know I'll probably offend some of you, but I just don't care for Southern gospel. Like, it's just a genre of music that I don't prefer. But, you know, what I should be saying is, not is this a genre of music I like, but, but can I sing this song, and can I say that I'm letting the word of Christ dwell in me richly, like we're commanded to do when we sing in Colossians 3, 16. All right? Um... It should be the word of God and not the church growth strategies that determine how we live life, what we do, what we, how we decide to go about things as a church. Friends, um, you know, on the one hand, we, I think we want our church to grow. And we all know, you're, oh, we're mainly supposed to say spiritually first, right? We know that, but... We want numbers too. But you know, sometimes when Jesus was doing everything right, you know what happened? Crowds got smaller. Jesus started, Jesus was being Jesus, doing things right, and people didn't like it, so they left. Does that mean Jesus was unsuccessful? No. We need to be faithful to Christ. We need to be faithful to his word. We must be careful We must be careful that we are not, number one, saying, what do I prefer in worship? That's what I really want. I'm going to find me a church where they sing the kind of songs I like and where the preacher's a little nicer and they got a little better coffee and donuts. 
The other thing is, we must never make the mistake. We want to reach the lost world out here, don't we? Don't you ache to see people come to a saving knowledge of Christ? A lot of churches make the mistake of saying, oh, we want to reach the people outside the church, so let's make ourselves as much like them as possible. But the supernatural power of Christ's church does not come from mimicking the world. It comes from our otherworldliness, right? This that's shaped by the word of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, here's where I want to close this this morning. Let's remember where Jesus is at and who Jesus is talking to. This woman at the well, who, who her whole life had been anything but being a true worshiper. And yet, here Jesus is to redeem her, to call her out of her darkness into his light, to establish her as a daughter of the king and to bring her into the fold. I'm gonna get to this next week, but one of, the, one of my favorite little lines in this whole story of Jesus and the woman at the well is Jesus reveals himself to her and then it says, she left her water pot and went back into the town telling everybody else, come and see a man. Transformed. I say that to say, I, something I know that's true of every single one of us here, because I know it's true of me. Many, many times, we have tried to worship at other wells. Not a single one of us here can claim to be a perfectly true worshiper. And yet Jesus has loved us and he has redeemed us. And that's what he came to do. He came to seek and save. He came to seek and make true worshipers. Father, we thank you for the power of your word and the truth of it. And I pray, Lord, that for each one of us here, you would do the miracle in our hearts to transform us from being worshipers of ourselves to worshiping in spirit and in truth, to worshiping your son, Jesus, who is the greatest and fullest revelation of who you are, the image of the invisible God. And I pray, Lord, that as you draw us to the well, the only true well that can satisfy us, that you would satisfy our hearts in your son Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.